You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Am I coming out in the front? What do you think of our new stage? It's nice enough. Huh? Huh? I built it myself. Uh, from Monday to Thursday this week. Now, the builders were in all week and they, they'd done a fabulous job. We're delighted with how it's turned out. You wouldn't fall or anything on it like or nothing. It's perfectly. It's a perfectly good stage. How many people here like Brussels sprouts? Brussels sprouts? Stand up if you like Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts put hairs on your chest. Would anyone say amen? I know Tom doesn't like Brussels sprouts, but I like the kind of the bitter kind of, you know, tangy taste of Brussels sprouts just because it reflects the bitterness of my life. Now, I know that you're all in a hurry, so we're going to keep the sermon to an hour and a half this morning, just so that you don't have to be here too long. Amen. Who said amen? God bless you, Dara. Fair play, girl. One and a half hours is all I've been told is all I have this morning. I want to talk about part of the Christmas story this week. Uh, I just think it's that time of the year, and, and, and there's a lot to reflect on in the story of the coming of Jesus. Last week, Tom was talking about the coming of the wise men, and if you will, this message is kind of a prequel. So this week, it's, um, it's the coming of the wise men, the prequel, if you want to, for this message. Has anybody here seen Star Wars, by the way, just for the record? Anybody seen the latest Star Wars movie? It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic, great show. Friday night, boy, fantastic. Myself and the wife, no children, it was unbelievable. Anyway. <laughs> I want to look at the story from a slightly different angle this morning, and that is that the, if, if we look at the story of Christmas and we go back to the start of the story, part of the story, as you well know, for those of you who know the story of Christmas, or the story that's recorded in Matthew's Gospels, chapter 1 and 2, and Luke 1 and 2, you know that the story goes like this, that there was a virgin called Mary, and she lived in a town called Nazareth. And then one day when she was, it seems, at prayer, an angel came and visited her. And the angel's name was Gabriel. And Gabriel told her that the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her and she was going to have a baby. And the baby that she was going to have was going to be the Messiah. And he was going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The thing to remember most about Christmas is that we've got to remember that it is about God with us. If you're wondering at all this morning, is God against you? No, God is with you. Would anyone say amen? amen. The story goes on that she went and she told her, her would-be husband, her fiancé, Joseph. And she said, you know, by the way, I'm pregnant, and I'm pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And Joseph probably didn't really believe the story or thought there was a kind of a fishy story. And it said that he was going to divorce her on the QT. They were betrothed, and you had to divorce when you were engaged back in those days. And he was going to get rid of her. But he didn't because an angel appeared to him. And the angel appeared to him in a dream. He said, Joseph, what's going on? Mary is legit. It's real. It's from heaven. You need to keep on to her, hold on to her as your wife. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me and I'd had those experiences, I would think that something really big was going down in my life. I'd think that there was a really big plan being played out in my life. And I think that if it was you and these things were happening to you, the appearance of an angel coming to you when you were at prayer, telling you something was going down, you're, it's confirmed by your husband, fiancé, significant other, come along, and they confirm it saying an angel has visited them as well. You kind of go, there's something big going down. And then you'd have heard about your cousin, a woman called Elizabeth, and about how she's also pregnant and she's kind of old. And what's happening to her is that an angel visited her husband and there's a lot of stuff like this going on. If it was me... I'd be going, something big is going down in my life. 
And when we look at this passage of scripture in a second, what we discover is that something really big is going down. But the way that big things go down doesn't always play out the way that we like them to play out. If it was me, I would be expecting a great outcome. I'd be expecting great breakthroughs. But you know, an open door does not necessarily mean an easy way. The way that things play out in our lives is not always according to the script that's in our head. I want to look at Luke's gospel. I want to look at just one. There's one specific verse that brought my attention to this. Um, I want to look at Luke's gospel this morning. And I want to look at one verse at the end of it. But, but I want to look at the story in general. Just to have a look and see what exactly was going down. And what was the import of what was going down. This morning's story, our message is called No Vacancy, as you'd be surprised, with the big huge sign saying No Vacancy. That was the giveaway. And we're going to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Just simple reading through these verses. Okay, I'm going to begin. It says this time, at that time, at the time of these events, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, which was David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. It goes on. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was now expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room or no lodging available for them. Now, if you look at this story, you can think, well, do you know, that's a nice little tale. It's a, a little narrative. When you read this story, you go, well, okay, we can see some events that were breaking out inside in this story. But in actual fact, what you're doing, what you're seeing is, a, is the play of God at work in the lives of these people. It's not just a story and the characters that are being put into the story is not just an everyday story. It's a very, very important story. And the events that are going on in the lives of these two people and where they come from and who was in power in Rome all have really important significance. Sometimes we think that we just have our little lives and that the details that are going on around our lives are all that important but God is a God of the details would anyone say amen and he is working in the details of your life even unbeknownst to you if you go back to the previous slide you read that for instance Augustus Caesar was the guy who had taken over power in Rome now Augustus Caesar was the first true Roman emperor it was kind of the end of the Roman Republic when 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 uh, Caesar took over when Augustus Caesar who was actually Octavius but it doesn't matter he, he, he got the title Augustus because it seemed to the Roman Senate that it was the only real name that the guy could be given he couldn't really be called Imperator he couldn't really be called dictator he couldn't be called king. The only thing was to call him August. He was a powerful one. And it also indicated that Augustus was considered to be deity. Well, he considered himself to be deity primarily. And of course, because you've got very large armies, you can convince everyone that you're deity if you try, if you try hard enough. And so they began to believe that Augustus, the Caesar in Rome, was actually a deity. And into the, into the heart of this God-man, and in the middle of this rule of this God-man, the real God-man was about to be born in Bethlehem. Unbeknownst to all the powers in Rome, unbeknownst to all the powers in Dyle Aaron, God is at work in the lives of his people. Would anyone say amen? And the thing about it is, who put it into the heart of Caesar Augustus to call for a census at this time? 
It doesn't matter what a census is about. I think Tom is going to explain a little bit, a little bit another time. But who put it into his heart to call for this census at the time? And the thing about it was, is that the result was that it was a forced journey for Joseph. Now bear with this story. It was a forced journey for Joseph. Joseph didn't go, come here Mary, will we go off down to Bethlehem for a weekend for ourselves? They weren't going on a baby moon. The baby's coming, so we'll go on holidays. Me and my wife, Elma, we did that before our first son uh, was born. We decided we just went down to West Cork for a few days. To, and I understand it's now called a baby moon. But they weren't going on a baby moon. They didn't want to make this journey. This journey was forced upon them. The events that were going on in their lives were being forced upon them. And I don't know about you, but it would make me uncomfortable if all of a sudden the government decided that I had to make a 128-kilometer journey on foot to get to this little Mickey Mouse town near Jerusalem. I don't know what I particularly like. And it takes Mary with him, who's pregnant at the time. We don't know how heavily pregnant she was. But she was certainly quite pregnant at the time. The journey was forced upon them. And then when they get to the end of the journey, things don't seem to get a whole lot better either, really. Because when they get to the end of the journey, they come to the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is jointed. It is packed. It's like the Cork Guinness Jazz Weekend going on. When they get there, there is nowhere for them to stay. When it says no lodgings, there's a number of different debates about exactly what it means. Some think that it might have been a kind of a, a, a guest room in somebody's house, which is the most likely that he would have effectively would have stayed with a relative, um, or that they weren't able to stay in somewhere that they could hire. Between the jigs and the reels, Bethlehem was jointed because everybody was coming home. And they weren't able to stay there. My wife and I once decided that we were going to go on a quick holiday to uh, France. And we decided to go to a place called Saint-Malou in France. Now the thing about going to France was, it's a great idea if you can speak French. However, I couldn't speak French. I had very few words of French. And somehow in my head, I imagined that if you did a lot of French gestures, people would immediately understand what you were saying in English. So if you started doing things like, and that everybody was going to understand exactly what I was saying. So we got the ship over to a place called Roscoff, Cork to Roscoff Ferry, got the ferry, got off the ferry, took the bus from the ferry and got to this train station called Morlay. And when we got to this train station, this little village called Morlay, I went into the railway station, Elma was outside, she was with the bags, I went inside, she said, go get the tickets. I said, I am man, I will go get tickets. So I go in and I go up to the counter and there at the counter is this moustached, smoking train clerk. And he's got the deep voice, you know. He doesn't speak a word of English. I say, if he does have English, he doesn't speak English to me. It doesn't matter. And so I went up and I said, okay, I'm going to try my best. And I said, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up and I'm going to ask how much it is for two tickets to San Malou. That's what I'm going to try. So I walk up to the counter and he looks at me and he literally goes, as I walk, oh, as I walk to the counter, you got a lot. Anyone here from France? Okay. Anyway. So I walk up to the counter, and what I want to ask for is two tickets. Now you'd imagine that Ireland, having won, having won the Eurovision so many times, I would at least be able to count to 12 in French. Do you know what I'm saying? That, you know, you watch the Eurovision, you can see Irlande, un point, Ireland, one point. So I go up to the counter and I say, okay, I know I want to ask for two tickets, look in the dictionary, okay. To, to. So I go up and I say, eh, excusez-moi, our words to this effect, I said, eh, combien so the guy looks at me and says, Duze? I said, yeah, Duze. <laughs> now anybody here who can speak French knows what I've just done. I haven't asked for two tickets. 
I've asked for two douzes. I've just asked for 12 tickets to take to Saint-Malou. So, of course, the guy looks at me with that expression on his face of, you stupid English man. To which I thought, I'm not English, I'm Irish. And he just went, mon ami. So I went out in Sedelma. I, I, I don't know what the story is. The tickets are really expensive for this short train journey. So she said, you know what we'll do? We'll hitchhike it. So hmm, I said, look, I'd rather pay the money and, and you know, kind of hang on for the train. The train's going to be going in an hour. She says, by the time we hitchhike it there, we, we'll be there before the train gets here. So I think, well, I'm optimistic. I'm young. I'm free. Let's go hitchhiking. Now, I don't like hitchhiking. So we start hitchhiking to this place called Samalu, which was about 40 kilometers away. Twelve hours later, we arrive in Saint-Malou on this bakingly hot day. And as we get to Saint-Malou, the place is full for the weekend. Why? Because the Tall Ships Festival happens to be in Saint-Malou that weekend. And we can find nowhere to stay. There was no room at the inn for us. We searched high and low, ended up going to 12 different places, and eventually found this French woman who could speak English. It was like, miracle! Hallelujah! We went up to this campsite. I don't like sleeping in tents, but I was never in all of my life so happy to see a tent. She said, but we have one tent. I said, I'll take it. I'll take anything. A sleeping bag slumped from a tree. I'll take anything. I was exhausted. I was lost. I couldn't even speak their language. And I lay down in this tent. It didn't even have a ground sheet. I was never so happy to see grass and canvas in all of my life. And as I lay there, moles from the garden fields around me were running around my head. I didn't care. It was so nice. There was no room for us at the inn, but boy, was I glad to get a rest. Just like I've, I, I think Mary and Joseph were glad, even though there was no real space for them. Boy, were they glad to have any place at all to stay. But I, what, I, what gets to me about this story is this. This is the detail that gets me about the whole story, right? The whole story is this. Because there was no lodging available for them. I'm trying to say that really cool, see? So there was no lodging available for them. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. There was no lodging available for them, you know? I'm just trying my cool, you know? Thank you, Jesus. There was no lodging for them. Now here's the thing. If you go back and you read the scriptures and you read Matthew's gospel, the way that Matthew tells the story, you discover that in the middle of all of this was God's plan. That there was a who, a why, a where, a when, a how and a what. All of these things were being worked out by God. And when you read Matthew's gospel story, he actually continually uses the words of the prophets. Here's one of the passages. He said, all of these things happened and occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In that, Matthew was quoting Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And then this, he, again, he says, this is what the prophet wrote and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least of all the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel and he's quoting there Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 and he continues on and on through the carrying down into Egypt he says this fulfilled and then he said Herod came and he killed all the children in, in under the age of two in Bethlehem and he said this happened and fulfilled this scripture and then when they returned back out of Egypt he said this happened to fulfill this scripture and this story is played out that has been going on for 700 years 
So the Lord, if you will, had 700 years to plan the events that were going on that had been prophesied about. And yet when they get to Bethlehem, there's nowhere for them to stay. Hello, if you had seven years, 700 years to plan some guests coming to stay in your place, you'd imagine that you'd at least have a place for them to stay. But there wasn't even a place for them to stay. What would you feel like? I gave you 700 years notice. I'm coming over tonight. Go, oh, I forgot to make the bed for you. 700 years. And if you go back even further into the footprint of what's going on here, it talks about how, how Joseph was a descendant of David. So that takes you back to about a thousand years. And if you go back even further into the genealogy of Joseph, it goes right back to the Abrahamic line. So at this stage, we're back nearly 4,000 years in the history. And if you actually look at the book of Genesis, the history is even further back. The scripture calls Jesus the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world before time itself began all of these things were being laid out and all of these things were being planned to come together and then they show up at the door and say so God is doing something amazing in my life but there's nowhere to stay and that's the thing sometimes we can look at our lives and go Lord if there's so much going on in my life how come this this detail has been overlooked why is it that these events aren't working out for us you see their lives are our lives their lives are your lives the things that happened in their lives, even though they were doing their very best to honor God with their lives, they were doing, doing their very best to obey the instruction that God had given them, though they were doing their level best to follow the path that God had put before them, still things were difficult in their lives. Still things were difficult in their lives. Still they ended up having nowhere to put the baby but into a feeding trough on the ground. Still there was nothing, there was no perfect detail that just, everything was just, ooh, just absolutely spot on. Now I've been to France a few times, but I have to tell you, I never forget the time that I went to Saint-Malou, the story I told a while ago, because of just how difficult and how hard it was to get there. But I've got some good stories out of it. But the rest of the holidays were kind of like okay because, you know, we got on the plane and went there and we got off the plane and we went and we sat on the beach and then we went back and we got on the plane and we went home. And it doesn't make for a good story, but getting lost in France with no language actually makes for a more interesting story. And we could really see, I remember that night, we gave thanks, Elma and I gave thanks on our knees inside on the grass in this tent for the fact that we had a roof over our heads, in this case a piece of canvas. But sometimes the details of our lives don't seem to work out we, the way we think that they should be planned. The way that everything should line up and happen. And no matter how much time God has given to this process, there's still this detail. The only thing that we can conclude is that the reason why there was no room at the inn is precisely because God had planned it that way. Just as he had planned for Caesar Augustus to call a census. Just as he had planned for, for, for Joseph to have to go back to Bethlehem so the baby would be born there. Just as he planned for them to go down to Egypt. Just as he planned for them to come back from Egypt and go to Nazareth so that Jesus would be called a Nazarene to fulfill what the scriptures had said. That even though all of these difficult things were going on, God's plan was being worked out in their lives. What about your life? How is your life working out? Or can God work out the details of your life that you don't understand? You see, most people know, I, I, I take it most people here know of the game of chess. So in the game of chess, if you're a kind of a pretty bad player, if you're a pretty bad player in chess, you're like me. That means you might have one move and maybe one move after that lined up in your head. Like if I play chess against my son Robin, he just kind of runs me around in circles and he just absolutely devours me. He, I go my first move and he, he literally goes, shouldn't have done that, Dad. And I said, just move the pawn. Shouldn't have done that, Dad. And then he destroys me in this game of chess. It, it, he's just way, way better at it than I am because I just don't have that chess thing going on in my head. 
But the really good chess players, apparently, are 15 to 20 moves ahead of their opponent. There are 15 or 20 moves. No, imagine for a second God was a chess player. Just bear with us a second. I'll just go with this for a second. Imagine God is a chess player and that what's going on in your life is chess. And sometimes even the decisions and choices that you make, like remember a good player playing a bad player, will turn the bad player's move to the good player's advantage. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what he does. That's how it works. And imagine that in your life, that even the bad moves that you make, accidentally, unintentionally, that God can turn those bad moves for his good in your life. Wouldn't that be something really cool? Wouldn't it be really cool to know that God is not just one step ahead of you in his life, but he's 15 moves ahead of you in your life? Can you imagine what it would be like to know that the great master of all things of the universe knows exactly what it's going to work out? I love the verse that was quoted a while ago. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future, to bless you and to prosper you. And there's a move. All, every time you make a move, he's a couple of moves ahead of you. He knows where you're going. He knows the mistakes you're going to make. And he knows how to head him off at the pass. That's the way our God works in your life. And even when your story doesn't flow the way that you think it ought to go, God is still at work in your life. And the problem is this. I think what happens in our head is this. I think very often what we do is we let our circumstances speak to our faith. Now, you might be in great circumstances, but you may also have issues and trials and tribulations and troubles like the rest of humanity. If you have absolutely no problems whatsoever, then you're probably dead, just for the record. But if you have, maybe if you have some problems in your life, if there's something going on in your life, maybe you're like the rest of us, and we can sometimes let circumstances speak to our faith. We look at our circumstances and go, this isn't so great, there must be something wrong with my faith because this isn't working out so well. But in actual fact, the Bible teaches from start to finish, all the way through Psalms, Proverbs, uh, uh, all the way through the book of Job, right into the New Testament, tells the whole story. And what it says is that faith speaks to the circumstances, not circumstances speaking to the faith. You're going, what does that mean, Michael? What it means is that we take a faith perspective and we take a faith lens at our circumstances, not the other way around. Are you with me? So, if, like, Mary and Joseph could easily say, well, how can God be in this, like? I mean, we're made to go down to Bethlehem. Like, I don't want to go to Bethlehem. Do you want to go to Bethlehem? No, I don't want to go to Bethlehem either. Like, why do we have to go? Like, Lord, what's going on? And then when they get down there, there's, they get there, there's no room for them to stay. Like, like, this is ridiculous, like. I mean, there's not even a place for us to stay. Like, I mean, what have I done wrong, Lord? <laughs> Haven't done anything wrong, Lord. Hey, that's not an impression of my son. Is there something wrong with my faith, Lord? Why aren't things working out? But the truth of it is, if you look at the scripture and you look at the lives of Christians for thousands of years, it has always been their faith has spoken to their circumstances. I'm unemployed at the moment. No, I'm not, but imagine you're. I, I'm unemployed at the moment. That means God is still at work in your life and is working something out for you. Would anyone say amen? I don't know if I'll be able to buy that house. That's okay. God's in control of that situation too. And that may work out. I don't know where I'm going to get a wife. I, I got one, by the way, for the record. But I don't know where I'm going to get a wife. God's got that move covered as well. Don't you worry about it. And that's the way that our faith, faith needs to speak. Not that it says, There's, I can't find a wife, so therefore there must be something really rotten and God has forgotten me. No, God has not forgotten you. He has placed you exactly in the place that he determined to place you. Paul is talking to the 
talking to the Christians in Athens in the, in the, in the book of Acts. And he says this to them. He says, God decided, he decided exactly where people should live. And he, forgive me. He, exa- he decided exactly when they should live. And he decided exactly where they should live. So if you're wondering what's going on in my life, if you believe the scriptures, it says he has decided exactly when you should be alive. You weren't alive in the 1800s. Or if you were, you're very, very old. You weren't alive in the 1800s. Some of you weren't even alive in the 1900s. That makes me feel old. But God decided exactly when you should live. And this is your time. This is the time that God has determined for you. And can I say this to you? This is the place that God has determined for you. It's not an accident. If you're in here this morning, it's your first time going, what am I doing here? It is no accident that you're inside in this room this morning, hearing the message about Jesus Christ. No accident whatsoever that you're hearing that message. This is what the scripture says. He decided exactly when they should live. He decided exactly where they should live. And no more so than in the story of his own son, Jesus Christ. He decided exactly what the details were and exactly how it was going to work out. You see, sometimes we can forget where we are at when we get sometimes difficulties, trials, tribulations, questions, sufferings, problems, doors that won't open, doors that won't shut, issues that won't go away, things that continually revisit us. We can begin to think that there's something wrong with us internally, our connection with the Lord. I can say to you that that is simply not the case. Isaiah was writing to the early, he was writing to the Israelites, and this scripture now applies to the lives of individual Christians every day. I love what, what Isaiah wrote to them. He's speaking in the place of the Lord, and this is what the Lord says to them. I will be with you throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age. Would anyone say amen? Amen. He said this, I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and I will save you. Now, does that mean that God has abandoned him? Does that mean God abandons you? Not at all. Of course, it clearly doesn't. He'll be with you until you're old and gray. Now, I was once full of red hair. But no, I'm getting grey and a little bit older as well. But I'm very young, really, actually, on the inside. But I love this promise. I love this promise because, you know, sometimes we can look at our lives and go, how is this all going to play out? This is how it's going to play out. If you honour God, he will honour you. If you stay faithful to do what he is calling you to do, he will stay faithful to you and he will honour you in your life. He will be with you until you are old and grey. Would anybody with grey hair say amen? Amen. 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 No, not no hair, grey hair. Baldy people are in a different scenario altogether. <laughs> Amen. No grey hair to worry about there. I'll be with you until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you and I will carry you along and I will save you. Take it in, savour it. Feel it, taste it. That is God's plan and God's purpose to be faithful to you regardless of whether or not there's a room at the inn for you today. God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. And you know, as you go into what will be a very, very busy season, you're going to meet family and you're going to meet people that you like and you get on with and you're probably going to meet people that you don't get on with. Don't forget that God's hand is at work in the middle of all of that. All we have to say is, Lord, use me. 
Can you imagine what Mary, as she's on, well, maybe she's not in the back of a donkey. I'm not 100% sure. They don't, the donkey thing is, we don't know about it. But as she's making her way down to, to Bethlehem, exhausted and tired after a 128 kilometer on foot or on the back of donkey journey, whichever you are, one of them seems almost as uncomfortable to me as the other, but he makes it there. Can you imagine when she's going under thinking to herself, what was I thinking when I said, Lord, use me? If you're going to say, Lord, use me, then be prepared. He will use you. Would anyone say amen? amen? And would you cheer up a small bit? It's Christmas. <laughs> it's not that bad at all. It's not that bad. Here's what the psalmist said. He said, I'm trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. My future is in your hands. We're going to ask the band to come up and sing. We're going to sing the song Guardian. And the reason we want to sing the song Guardian is I love this idea that you go before me, you're there beside me. And if I wander, your love will find me. I love the idea of God being at work in our lives to bring about all sorts of events, to bring about his best purposes and his best will for us and for our lives. And then we're going to pray. Is that okay? Will we stand together? We're going to sing. Are we do for time? We're going. Hallelujah. Can we lift our hands to heaven as we pray this morning? Yeah, sing on, sing on. Let's sing, let's sing. King of love and grace, my guardian, all my hopes and fears are in your hands. your enthusiasm Emmanuel fair play to you let's get an extra verse in hallelujah do you know what I would bet you that the, everybody in this room has something in their life that they believe is not as it should be maybe that's a relationship that's kind of out of kilter maybe it's I don't have work 
I'm not 100% sure about the rent. I'd like to buy a home and it's not working out. The plans of my own heart are being frustrated. If you've got something in your life and you say, Lord, I know this is not as it should be, but I'm asking you, would you work out your best plans in my life, regardless of how I think it should work out? Would that be an okay prayer to prayer, do you think? If you've got a situation you want to bring before the Lord, I've got about a half a dozen of them, where you think things ought not, are not as they should be, will you raise your hand to heaven? Let's raise our hands to heaven in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are working out the intimate detail of the lives of those who trust in you. Would anyone say amen? Lord, I know that right now for so many of our lives, so many of the details of our lives are not exactly as we would like them. We can't find a wife or we can't find a home or we can't find a job. Or my wife won't talk to me or my children won't talk to me and I can't talk to my children. My boss is on my back. Lord, whatever the detail it is, Lord, that is not as we would like it to be, Lord, this morning we commit as your people and say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would give us faith that would speak to our circumstances, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our faith wouldn't be feeble and fall apart at every closed door or every raised voice or every hassle or every trial or every trouble, Lord, but that you would give us a robust faith and a robust joy, Lord, that speaks beyond the circumstances, Lord, whether there is no room for us at the inn or not, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would still hold on to you and our prayer this morning, Lord, is would you use us? Would anyone say amen? Would you use our lives, Lord? Would you use our lives for your glory? Lord, to make the name of Jesus greater than it is now, would anyone say amen? And Lord, when we get together, and Lord, when we reflect, when we're with people that we struggle with or that we get on with like a house on fire over the next busy week, Lord, I pray that our faith would grow and grow and grow. As we take in your story, Lord, that our faith would grow and would not fall apart, Lord, in the midst of trial, tribulation, or disappointment, Lord. I thank you, Lord, you have been working out your plans through the lives of millions of Christians for thousands of years, Lord Jesus. You are not going to stop today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that as we go out into what is probably going to be a very busy week in a very busy world, Lord, Lord, with all the stuff that we have to remember and to do, and Lord, all the intimidation sometimes that the season like this brings, Lord, I pray that we would know a peace in our hearts, Lord. We would know a real sense of your presence near us, Lord God. I pray, Lord, we'd look past the presence and experience the presence of Jesus Christ this Christmas season in Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace in Jesus' name. And God's people said aloud, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless and keep you, brothers and sisters. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs if you want to stay for another while. We're starting in at 12. And we're here on Christmas Eve at 12 noon next Sunday. God bless and go with you. The guys are going to play us out.